first episode of Politics and Poetry, a bi-monthly, 30-minute discussion about the nexus of politics and poetry. We are so excited to launch this idea that we created during the recent campaign for Georgia House District 35. I'm Lisa Campbell, former candidate for the Georgia General Assembly, a lifelong political activist, and a lifelong poetry lover. Our show is all about the intersection between politics and poetry. I'll be joined today and each week by co-hosts, my father, Ron Campbell. Hello, everyone, and thank you for being with us today. And my niece, Lexi Hunter. Hello there. We'll be inviting other guests like poets, politicians, activists, as well as people who give a damn. (laughs) We believe that politics and poetry are essential to understanding the meaning of citizenship. And during our campaign, during these times of great political unrest, division, unprecedented conflict, and even pandemic in our state and in our nation, we want to have a hopeful conversation about when, where, and how words, poetry, and politics come together. As we produce each episode, we want to uncover the reasons why these two long-standing elements of our society, politics and poetry, have garnered such a negative reputation and are now often portrayed as lofty, pretentious, unattainable, or even disconnected from our everyday lives. Well, that is a lot to cover. (laughs) I'm Lexi Hunter. I'm a writer, musician, feminist, and more recently, a campaign coordinator. During Lisa's campaign for State House Representative, our committee met almost every day to discuss current issues, campaign strategy, and to share ideas about creating change. After our runoff loss, we decided that we wanted to keep the conversation going. Frequently, our daily conversations circled back to these common themes. Big ideas related to equality, democracy, and inclusion, or often lack thereof, in our environment. Active citizenship and ways to create common good in our society especially during this highly partisan and increasingly divided election year. We were often inspired by political quotes and speeches, many of which were based on the words of poets. That's right. So we've been doing a lot of reading and research. We've been taking a look at political speeches and poems as we've been preparing to launch our podcast. And we've been listening, listening to other poets, listening to other politicians, and listening to each other. We're huge fans of Padraig Otuma, and we've been listening to his amazing podcast. It's called Poetry Unbound. We love what he says about poetry, that it is, quote, unexpected human encounters, unexpected moments, something surprising. He says that poetry is asking us to be brave, to go into the moments of our own failure, and then to narrate in the possibility that we may offer some compassion. And man, when we heard him speak these words, we couldn't help but think that the same is true of our political endeavors and our calls to citizenship. So why do so many easily opt out of both politics and poetry? Really good question. 
Right. You know, you hear it all the time. People say things like, oh, I'm just not that into politics <laughs> or I don't get poetry. And it's these reactions and ideas that we want to explore here. We want to discuss our role as citizens in politics and poetry. Can we opt out? What happens if we do opt out? Can we just ignore them? Can our democratic republic survive? What happens if we don't? <laughs> there are a lot of questions here. Is there power in words repeated and shared through a diversity of voices? And can we persuade, evolve, change, and thrive? That's right. So many questions. And while we may not be able to answer all of them in this podcast, we will hope to spark conversations and thoughts about politics and poetry, exactly as you've just described. And we are certainly not opting out. Just the opposite. We think that there may be something very positive about providing exposure for the lyrics, the words, the passion, and the people who create them. So is there a nexus for politics and poetry? And what is it? According to The Politics of Poetry by David Orr, poetry and politics connect through expression and feeling, although both of them are matters of persuasion. Orr believes that political poetry connects to people's feelings and politics connects to current events. When we think of successful political leaders, we think of people like Presidents Barack Obama and Abraham Lincoln, or senators like John Lewis, Max Cleland, or Jen Jordan. We agree that they do both. They are natural storytellers who get you to care about current events because they want to make you feel something. And then they ask you to think about your role in the environment and how that connects you and your feelings with others. That's right. When you think about the speeches that each of those presidents and senators have made, man, they're so powerful. Right. Poetry can also make very direct political references and have real effects on the perception of politics. If we go back again to David Orr, he believes that political poetry can impact readers because both politics and poetry express personal and often emotional views with political poetry often defined as being a specific political situation rooted in an identifiable political philosophy. And it often addresses a particular political actor. And usually it's written in language that can be understood and appreciated by its intended audience. And finally, and this is really important, that it's offered in a public forum, like on the inaugural stage or on the floor of Congress, or even at a political rally, where it can have maximum persuasive effect. So in essence, he's talking about combining the forces of a political mind, a passionate advocate, and then using the lyrical aspect of poems to really create that emotional connection and hopefully spur action. Political poetry has existed from the earliest times and originates from all over the world. It is often the opening of a door for conversation, whether that's with others or even with yourself. Poetry can offer a deeper connection. Through the reader's point of view, political poetry conveys and expresses political aspects, which then shapes how it's going to be read. So going back to David Orr, he said, poetry might be perceived as political by its audience, even if the writer did not mean to convey political message or ideas values, praise, or even criticism. 
Poetry uses emotion to convey messages that poets can get across, incorporating the use of culture and politics. It's interesting to reflect how poems may also change and evolve based on the time in which they're written and our perception or the time in which they're read. Ron, I know you have some favorite poems and favorite politicians. Uh, yes, John F. Kennedy, our 35th president, linked poetry to politics when he said, if more politicians knew poetry and more poets knew politics, I am convinced the world would be a better place in which to live. <laughs> Both poets and politicians draw from experience and emotion and frequently intend to convey a story of human connection or persuasion. Political poetry incorporates these two ideas together as well, creating something that both influences the audience and convinces them as to the main idea of the poem and possibly to action. William Butler Yeats, an Irish senator in 1922, believed that rhetoric stems from our confrontations with others, while poetry stems from our confrontations with ourselves. Well, I knew Yeats was a poet, but I have to admit, I didn't know he was an Irish senator, too. Some of our best political speeches are full of poetry, aren't they? Most notably in their emphasis on rhythm, sometimes the metrical regularity of formal verse, and other times the cadences of the Bible. Many great preachers like Martin Luther King seized on this and used it to great effect, and Walt Whitman turned it into his grand and rolling verse, too. It's rhythm that Mary Oliver describes in her book, A Poetry Handbook. And she says, quote, When we feel a pleasurable rhythm, we hope it will continue. And when it does, the sweet grows sweeter. And when it becomes reliable, we're in a kind of body heaven. And when I read that, I thought, okay, what is a body heaven in poetry? But I'm pretty sure that's what happens when you listen to Barack Obama talk about hope and change or Stacey Abrams talk about having your voice and your vote matter. Yes, you know, I, I can totally imagine that rolling that you hear from an old-timey preacher. It's, it's almost like music. According to John Lundberg in his article, The Poetry of Political Speech, in addition to rhythm, repetition is another commonly used poetic technique. When it's well-delivered orally or on the page, repetition ratchets up the intensity of a poem or speech. Each reappearance of a familiar phrase becomes a brief moment of pleasure, and repetitions build on each other, heightening the effect. Another great example of poetic repetition can be heard in this quote from Senator Elizabeth Warren's autobiography. And here she's drawing on poetic language and she's deployed melodious techniques of repetition when she talks about a time when her father has lost his job and the family is worried. And she says, And there's my mother. She is in her slip and her stocking feet. And she is saying, We will not lose this house. We will not lose this house. We will not lose this house. Wow, the alliteration in that poem conveys and heightens the anxiety of a child that a child might feel watching a parent worry. And it works to connect us through shared experience of the fear and anxiety so many Americans have faced over the years when dealing with hardship and loss. Let's look at the power of refrain in another famous speech 
that Winston Churchill delivered on June 4, 1940, during the early dark days of World War II. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our islands, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Well, that's pretty powerful, Granddad. I recently read an article by Alyssa Court, a reporter and the author of Thoughts and Prayers. She shared this, and I quote, Should we be surprised about a link between the highest levels of our political world and our most acclaimed poetry? She answers, I don't think so. And she thinks that we should get ready for more of it because it's coming and we need it desperately. As we have witnessed recently with the presidential debates, political rhetoric can be so mangled these days. We hear it daily with terms like fake news, referring to journalism, and offensive terminology in political speeches. Aunt Lisa, did you know that Elizabeth Warren has a poet on her team? I did not, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, her name is Kamange Felix, and she became the director of surrogates and strategic communications for Senator Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign back in June. We agree with Alyssa that this was a really good idea because political rhetoric has gotten toxic and empathy fatigue has set in. We can probably all agree that a more creative communication approach to combat this disconnection is a creative way to bridge this growing divide. Totally. Going back to Alyssa Court, and we hope she will join us as a guest in the future. She's just written a book of politically minded poetry and has started an initiative to support documentary poetry, which is reported poetry based on interviews or oral histories. And she believes that mixing poetry and politics is more than just fun in today's moment or a hybrid experiment. She thinks, and we agree, that it's also crucial because so many of us are faced with a sense of social powerlessness that can set in after one too many stories about, as you were referencing, Lexi, say tax evasion by our political leaders or hacking in our election or white nationalists on the march or when readers become inured to the stories of the many destructive wildfires in California. And when this happens, they or we can no longer bring ourselves to feel, to read, to stay engaged, or even vote after being bombarded by too much bad news. Dorothy Parker would have had a field day in today's world of fake news with her ability to lure readers into a false sense of security before revealing a trailblazing tendency to ridicule the hypocrisy of so many leaders. An acclaimed poet that often poked fun at official rhetoric and political allegories, here is her work, Poem in the American Manor. Poem in the American Manor by Dorothy Parker. I don't know your highfalutin words, but here's the way it seems when I'm peeking out the window of my little house of dreams. I've been looking round this big old world as busy as a hive, and I want to tell you, neighbor mine, it's good to be alive. I've been sitting here thinking hard and say, it seems to me that this big old world is just about as good as it can be. With its starving little babies and its battles and its strikes and its profiteers and hold-up men, the doggone little tykes, and its hungry men that fought for us that nobody employs, 
And I think, why shucks? We're just a lot of grown-up little boys. And I settle back and light my pipe and reach for Mother's hand. And I wouldn't swap my peace of mind for nothing in the land. Well, this world of ours that just was made for folks like me and you, it's a pretty good old place to live. Say, neighbor, ain't it true? (laughs) Well, it is a pretty good place to live, but so much work yet to accomplish. Anything like the American dream. And going back to Alyssa Court just one more time, you know, she states powerfully, and I'm quoting now, what poetry can do is make some of these phenomena vivid and personal in a way that we're not used to. And if the language we hear on television no longer stirs us to do anything more than tweet our dismay, poetry can express something new or something old in a new way. And maybe this can energize us to take action. And as we go back to Padre Gotuma, he observed recently, poetry bows down to unexpected human encounters, to unexpected moments, to meetings with strangers that we have, something surprising that comes out of nowhere. Interestingly, during our recent campaign, when phone canvassing, we saw similar opportunities. We were having conversations with strangers, not something that we do in everyday life exactly, that resulted in unexpected and shared moments of grief, of joy, excitement, and commitment. It was a poignant example of unexpected moments of the nexus of human poetry in politics. Another poet who writes about politics that we will take a deeper dive into in a future episode is Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde was a passionate political poet dedicated to confronting the social injustices of racism, sexism, and homophobia through her work. Her poetry was powerfully rooted in her experiences as a Black woman, a lesbian, a mother, and a lifelong warrior for equality. Here is a glimpse into the intersection of politics and poetry, evident in her stunning work, A Woman Speaks. These are her words. I have been woman for a long time. Beware my smile. I am treacherous with old magic and the noon's new fury. With all your wide futures promised, I am woman and not white. Though not a politician, Audre Lorde knew the power that her words held and that it would have the weight to move its listeners. Presidents have also frequently requested poetry at inaugurations or important national events. John F. Kennedy requested Robert Frost. Bill Clinton invited Maya Angelou and Miller Williams, and Obama asked Elizabeth Alexander. Percy Bysshe Shelley is another poet who made a connection between politics and poetry when he called poets the unacknowledged legislators of the world. Let's hear a few lines from some of these poetic legislators. Okay, I will start with On the Pulse of Morning by Maya Angelou. But today the rock cries out to us, clearly, forcefully, come, you may stand upon my back and face your distant destiny. And here's an example of great use of emphasis with rhyme. Of History and Hope by Miller Williams. But how do we fashion the future? Who can say how except in the minds of those who will call it now? One of my all-time favorites is Robert Frost. 
He can move mountains and mines with his words. This is from The Gift Outright. Something we were withholding made us weak until we found out that it was ourselves. In addition to political speeches in future episodes, we're going to be sharing the history of the Poet Laureate here in America, around the world, and our own Georgia State official Poet Laureate. Rita Dove is one of our recent U.S. Poet Laureates, and at just 40 years old, in 1993, she was the youngest to date. Her work pulls from her personal history and other art forms to weave enchanting stories and create wildly vivid images. Here are a few words from her poem, Demeter's Prayer to Hades, Adolescence 2. I have been a stranger in a strange land. There are no curses, only mirrors, held up to the soul of gods and mortals. And so I give up this fate, too. Believe in yourself. Go ahead. See where it gets you. There are no curses, only mirrors. Wow. It's pretty sage advice for individuals and perhaps to our nation as a whole right now. We're going to close, but we hoped you enjoyed this initial conversation and that you'll join us again for Politics and Poetry. We'd love to hear from you about your favorite poets, politicians, political speeches, and where you see the intersection of politics and poetry in your life. Feel free to send us an email at info at politicsandpoetry.org, or you can direct message us on all the social media channels. You can find us at Politics and Poetry on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even Pinterest. We'll also be sharing links to all the poems, poets, politicians, and speeches we've been sharing. Those will be on our podcast page at politicsandpoetry.org. Today, we'd like to end with a poem that was read for President Bill Clinton's inauguration in 1997. Poet, editor, critic, and translator, Miller Williams was born in Arkansas in 1930. He was the son of a Methodist clergyman and a civil rights activist. Miller's work is known for its gritty realism as much as for its musicality. Equally comfortable and formal and free verse, Williams wrote poems grounded in the material of American political life. He frequently used dialogue and dramatic monologue to capture the pitch and tone of American voices. A side note for all you music lovers out there, he's also the father of the singer-songwriter Lucinda Williams, and we're huge fans of hers as well. Williams was honored as the country's third inaugural poet, reading his poem, of history and hope at the start of former President Clinton's second term. Here is Of History and Hope by Miller Williams. We have memorized America, how it was born and who we have been and where. In ceremonies and silence, we say the words, telling the stories, singing the old songs. We like the places they take us, Mostly, we do. The great and all the anonymous dead are there. 
We know the sound of all the sounds we brought, the rich taste of it on our tongues. But where are we going to be, and why, and who? The disenfranchised dead want to know. We mean to be the people we meant to be, to keep on going where we meant to go. But how do we fashion the future? Who can say how, except in the minds of those who will call it now? The children, the children. And how does our garden grow? With waving hands, oh, rarely in a row, and flowering faces, and brambles that we can no longer allow. Who were many people coming together cannot become one people falling apart. Who dreamed for every child an even chance cannot let luck alone turn doorknobs or not? Whose law was never so much of the hand as the head cannot let chaos make its way to the heart? Who have seen learning struggle from teacher to child cannot let ignorance spread itself like rot? We know what we have done and what we have said and how we have grown degree by slow degree, believing ourselves towards all we have tried to become, just and compassionate, equal, able, and free. All this in the hands of children, eyes already set on a land we can never visit. It isn't there yet. But looking through their eyes, we can see what our long gift to them may come to be. If we can truly remember, they will not forget. (laughs) 